What's up, everybody? This is your host, Scott Melker, and you're listening to the Wolf of All Streets podcast. Every week, I'm talking to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, trading, art, music, sports, politics, and basically anyone else with an interesting story to tell. So sit down, strap in, and get ready, because we're going deep. Let's go. I'd like to thank my sponsors, Round the X and Voyager, for making today's episode possible. We'll hear much more about them later on in the episode. This podcast is powered by Blockworks Group, the only events and podcast production company I trust. For access to the premier digital asset conferences and in-depth podcast content, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. I promise you will not be disappointed. My guest today is a trailblazer in the decentralized finance space, but also one of the more interesting people that you could ever hope to meet. Zach Prince was a top 50 nationally ranked tennis player growing up, a professional online poker player, which is how he paid for college, and a drummer in Texas country bands. Very random. Most importantly, he is the CEO of BlockFi. I'm really thrilled to welcome Zach Prince to the show. Zach, thanks so much for being here. Happy to be here, Scott. You have a really diverse and interesting background that I just touched on, but how, how did that path lead you to crypto? Sure. So I, uh, I finished college in May of 2009, and... I always anticipated that, you know, professionally I would do something in the financial industry, but that wasn't the best time to be looking for entry-level jobs in the financial world, given that we were kind of smack dab in the middle of the financial crisis. And I ended up getting a job at an advertising technology company in New York. I'm also originally from Texas and never thought that I would live in New York City, but I got a job at this advertising technology company and that ended up going really well. The company was kind of at the forefront of the exchangeification and real-time targeting uh, movement that was happening in the online advertising world. And I joined the startup. It was like uh, 15 people. I was employee number 16. And then fast forward three years, we were 150 people and uh, Google bought the company. And I spent a little bit of time at Google about six months, didn't really like it that much. Uh, I learned that I really liked being on you know smaller teams and, and building things. So I left Google with some of my colleagues. Uh, we launched the North American entity for a German-based ad tech company. Uh, that did pretty well and was acquired after about 18 months. And uh, more recently and more relevantly after that acquisition, I moved into the online lending sector. And the first company I worked at in the online lending sector was a company called Orchard. We aggregated data and provided tools to institutional investors who were buying loans or financing all of the largest online lending platforms like SoFi and Lending Club and Prosper and real estate financing platforms. And while I was working there, I started writing a, uh, a fintech blog on the side, um, just talking about some of the cool stuff that was happening in fintech, whether it was you know, investing in uh, fractional shares of commercial real estate or robo-advisors or uh, Bitcoin. Um, in 2014, uh, Bitcoin had, uh, after the Mt. Gox hack, gone from 1,000 down to 300. I learned about it. I thought that you know, simply from a uh, risk-adjusted return profile basis, it looked like a great investment. And so I was recommending that uh, people buy some on this little blog that I had in 2014. And uh, I stayed at that company, the the company that was uh, the first one that I worked at in the online lending space for about three years, uh, left after we raised our Series B and went to work for a consumer lending business uh, that financed large ticket retail purchases at the point of sale for uh, international customers who didn't have FICO scores or for people that uh, just didn't have that grade of FICO scores. Um, and I also learned about Ethereum 
uh, in 2016. <clears throat> and I made this analogy in my head that Ethereum was like an iPhone. Bitcoin was like a BlackBerry. The iPhone is going to be way bigger than the BlackBerry. So I still had some Bitcoin, but I, I bought a fair amount of Ethereum in early 2016. And uh, for a while, like six or nine months, there was a, a Dow hack and the Ethereum price went down and I felt like I had just, you know, lit a bunch of money on fire. Um, but then late 2016, early 2017, the price started going up. Uh, I got increasingly interested in the space personally, and I was talking about it a lot at home. And at a certain point, my wife said, you know, you're talking to me about cryptocurrency and I don't want to talk about cryptocurrency. So you should go to some meetups or something. Um, find, <laughs> find some other like, you know, nerds to talk to about find this. someone who cares. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> find someone who cares. And, um, well, I started doing that and uh, pretty quickly, maybe three or four months after I started going to these meetups, we started to enter you know, the early phases of the 2017 bull market. And there would be a meetup in New York City where there's a room big enough for you know, maybe 100 people and there'd be like 500 people waiting to get into this thing. And it went from being like computer scientists and libertarians and some of the you know, super early adopters to also folks from Wall Street, venture capitalists, entrepreneurs. And there was just a ton of excitement um, about the sector. And I had an experience with a bank. I was uh, applying for a loan to buy an investment property in, in Texas. And uh, the Bitcoin and Ether price had gone up quite a bit. So uh, feeling you know proud of myself, I listed those as assets on the financial statement that I'd submitted to the bank uh, when I was applying for the loan. And the bank freaked out. And they're like, you know, Zach, we see that you have a job and you have W-2 income, but, you know, we're worried that you might be involved in some illicit activity. And, you know, we don't think that uh, this Bitcoin stuff is actually worth anything. And so it became this whole, you know, extra work uh, in the loan process because I own To justify your holdings. Yeah, exactly. And so that was when I kind of had the light bulb moment for BlockFi. Um, you know, the reason a lot of... Uh, folks built really big and successful businesses in the online lending world was that they were operating either uh, with a set of products that was relevant to a niche uh, set of consumers um, and or they were lending in uh, markets where banks were not active. And I thought that uh, certainly banks weren't going to be active in the cryptocurrency space anytime soon and uh, that I was uh, given my experience um, someone that uh, you know was well positioned to start a company around the idea of providing debt and credit markets to the cryptocurrency space, and so I founded BlockFi in uh, August of 2017 around that idea. Uh, what are people primarily using your loans for? So the the first thing that um, needs to exist for someone to consider getting a loan from BlockFi is that uh, they need to be bullish on the future value of the cryptocurrency that they're using as collateral for the loan. So our clients that you know, borrow dollars from us secured by their Bitcoin are folks that are you know, bullish on uh, cryptocurrency. Um, in terms of what they use the loans for, uh, the number one use case, and we ask this question of anyone who gets a loan from us, um, the number one use case is uh, entrepreneurial uh, endeavors. So starting a business or investing in uh, uh, a friend's business that they're starting. Um, but we also see use cases like uh, purchasing real estate, um, paying down higher cost debt, uh, purchasing more cryptocurrency is a, uh, is a use case, uh, and making traditional investments. So 
Um, you know, if you have an embedded gain in your uh, Bitcoin or Ether or other crypto position, if you sell those assets for cash, you have to pay taxes on it. Um, and if you get a loan, you don't have to pay taxes. So you can, you know, get liquidity without triggering a taxable event. And then you can use uh, that cash from the loan to make other investments. So that's another big use case that we see. Interesting. So uh, to get right to it, you and I were originally scheduled to speak on March 13th. And on March 12th was arguably the worst day in the history of crypto Bitcoin, certainly with a nearly 50% drop. Um, so, you know, that was right after the violent downward movement that we were supposed to speak. So I have to imagine that was a pretty insane day for you. Can you tell me, tell me a bit about that? Yeah, sure. So this is, um, this is the fourth time since we made our first loan at BlockFi in January of 2018 that Bitcoin has gone down more than 25% in a single day. Uh, this is the first time that it's gone down 50% in a single day. Uh, I think not only in, in BlockFi's existence, but throughout Bitcoin's entire existence. So it was, uh, you know, from first thing in the morning through about six o'clock in the afternoon, it was a pretty normal day. It felt a lot like uh, the other three times where we had seen a material price decline. And, you know, our risk management system in those scenarios is very active, issuing margin calls, uh, liquidating collateral in uh, cases where we need to. Um, and it, it felt uh, pretty standard as events like this go uh, by, you know, the end of the normal business day, 6, 630. Um, that evening, I drove up to where I am now at, uh, at a house that we have in upstate New York. And by the time I got to our house, the market had started uh, going down again. Um, and Bitcoin went down another 20, 25%. And uh, one thing that happened during the day uh, is that our risk management system takes certain actions, but it's also monitoring the uh, health profile or liquidity profile of the assets that we're lending against. Um, and a couple of flags kind of uh, went up on Thursday that indicated to us that um, there might not be that much more liquidity if the market did go down further. Um, and what we do in those scenarios at BlockFi is we uh, hedge the downside exposure that we have for our loan book. Um, so we had started doing that towards the end of the day Thursday. Uh, and then Thursday evening, as uh, the price was falling even further, our normal operating procedure would have been to you know sell more Bitcoin. Um, we elected not to at that specific time uh, we kind of did a manually. Man yeah, we did, did a, that we, manually. Yeah. We, we did a manual override, right? So there's, you know, we, we have the ability to uh, turn off certain functions on our risk management system at times. Um, think of it as like a, you know, kill switch, especially for the part where uh, our system is selling Bitcoin. And we hit that switch Thursday at like you know nine fifteen or nine thirty p.m. Eastern time. Um, and we were able to do that because we had these hedges on. And the reason that we did that is that there was, you know, there was no liquidity in the market. Um, you could sell, you know, 50 Bitcoin and, and move the price uh, 100, 200, $300. Um, and, you know, in, in hindsight, that was uh, definitely the right thing to do. Uh, the market kind of repositioned itself and, and had uh, largely recovered. And, and the liquidity profile was starting to look good again by Friday midday. But it was a um, it, it was a wild time, and uh, yeah, I, I think it's interesting to talk about. You know, I know that you follow and have uh, I think at times used platforms like Bitmex. Um, 
but it'd be interesting to talk about next if you want to, uh, what we think were some of the reasons that led to that second leg down, which isn't necessarily something uh, that has happened in other periods of, of downside volatility for Bitcoin. Yeah, I would love to discuss that. Obviously, there's the conjecture that um, BitMEX in particular was effectively liquid, you know, liquidating uh, 10 million orders at a, at a time into an empty book. And uh, at one point, there was, I believe, 15 million total bids between zero and, you know, 3,600. And they likely, although they haven't admitted it, hit their kill switch. I think they did a unscheduled maintenance in the classic uh, crypto style. Um, and, you know, literally, if someone had sold 15 million more, they could have taken the price of Bitcoin to zero. So that that's what I've heard. I would love to hear the uh, real story or, or what you believe happened. I mean, look, that that's the real story, right? So you have a uh, kind of cascade of, of liquidations on platforms that offer, you know, much higher leverage ratios than than what you could get on on BlockFi if you're using a loan from us to buy crypto um, that, you know, basically drove the price down and then found themselves in a market that didn't have enough liquidity to support the liquidations that they would need to do if they uh, kept their system operating uh, as normal. Um, in traditional markets, there have been protections built around this kind of stuff, uh, you know, circuit breakers, um, that get automatically implemented anytime the market gaps down uh, or you know hits a limit in a period of time. Um, but in crypto, we don't have that. Uh, and I think we're going to start to see places put in some of those controls. I think you're already seeing it with either Huobi or uh, OKX. I can't remember which one. Um, yeah, Huobi is putting in a circuit breaker. Yeah, so... Um, you know, these things exist in traditional markets uh, for a reason. Um, in times where uh, panic is, uh, where panic is peaking, and as a result, liquidity dries up, and then you also have a scenario where you've got uh, margin calls and, and liquidations happening. Um, some of these uh, functions that exist in traditional markets can be really helpful. Um, and so, you know, my view is that they basically got implemented manually by uh, by folks in the crypto sector. Um, and the good news is that now that we're, for the most part, on the other side of it, I think there's uh, two things that are uh, really important if you think about investing in Bitcoin on a go-forward basis. Um, one is that everyone who was levered, uh, you know, excessively levered long to a point where they weren't meeting margin calls uh, eight or nine days ago, is is highly unlikely to still be in that position. Um, they probably got blown out on BitMEX or you know another platform. Uh, and the second thing is that we're entering this uh, period of uh, macroeconomic uncertainty, uh, this period of uh, you know potentially a recessionary environment in uh, traditional markets, um, which is resulting in uh, money printing uh, from uh, central banks at a scale that. Uh, it has probably, you know, it'll probably be the greatest scale ever that that's happened. And, um, you know, these are some of the reasons that, uh, uh, folks have made a really strong investment case for Bitcoin, um, in the past. And so those two things together, I think are part of what's driving the performance that we've started to see, uh, you know, as of, uh, yesterday and today, uh, where Bitcoin is kind of recovering, um, quicker and faster, uh, than the traditional markets, at least, at least very recently. 
RoundlyX.com is one of my favorite companies in the entire crypto space. What they do is they take all your small purchases and they round them up to the nearest dollar and invest that money into any of 25 crypto assets of your choice. They integrate with your favorite exchanges so that you can round up into different assets all at the same time. And they do this all without ever holding any of your Bitcoin. This is by far the best way to dollar cost average into Bitcoin. You'll never even notice that the money is gone from your account and you'll look up one day and hopefully you'll have made thousands and thousands of dollars on crypto. Roundlyx, that's R-O-U-N-D-L-Y-X.com. Go sign up now. Are you sick of paying ridiculous fees to trade crypto? It's time you try Voyager. It's hands down my favorite place to buy and trade crypto and it's 100% commission free. Voyager gives you easy access to more than 30 top crypto assets and you can instantly transfer cash from your bank account so you never miss a trading opportunity. Even better, you can now automatically earn interest on your crypto holdings. Currently, they're offering 5% interest on Bitcoin and 6% on USDC. Yes, you heard that correctly, 6%. And there are no limits or lockups, which means your funds always stay liquid. Find out why so many people are making the switch to Voyager. Visit investvoyager.com or search for Voyager on the iTunes or Google Play Store and get $25 in free Bitcoin when you use the promo code SCOTT25. That's investvoyager.com, promo code SCOTT25 for $25 in free Bitcoin and start trading today. What's interesting to me and that maybe people wouldn't have a grasp of when you say that there's no liquidity, I mean, that means that basically every sell order in existence for Bitcoin was eaten through, correct? I mean, on the exchanges, there was no, nothing left to buy. They were just basically selling into an empty book. And that don't, I mean, that baffles my mind to think about that. And I don't know if that's a function of because price started so high, people just never imagined they would you know, put orders on the book at prices like 3,500, they thought they'd have time to do it or because the selling was that aggressive. I mean, uh, can you speak to that? I think it's a combination of both. Um, I mean, I know I've had uh, personal friends and I've at times, uh, you know, myself tried to leave a, you know, resting limit order somewhere for, you know, 30, 40, 50% down from where the market's uh, trading at for Bitcoin. And, you know, you, you get, you get bored and you take it off and you just buy some. So yep. there's really not that much depth uh, to those kinds of orders. Um, and the quantity of liquidations that we saw uh, because of the heavy usage of platforms that offer you know, leveraged trading was, was uh, massive. Um, and it was happening at a time where you're also having panic in traditional markets and margin calls in traditional markets that are also pulling liquidity out of the crypto ecosystem. So, you know, if you're a long short hedge fund or a macro hedge fund and you had decided that, you know, allocating a, a couple percent of your uh, capital that you're managing into Bitcoin was a smart decision a couple months ago um, and things start to get wobbly and, uh, you know, panic is setting in and the traditional equity markets aren't open yet, the first thing you're going to sell is Bitcoin. One, because you can. And two, because it's kind of far out on the on the risk spectrum uh, in terms of your portfolio. So I, I think all of those things kind of happened at the same time and created this perfect storm. But the but what's interesting is that the market has recovered pretty quickly. You know, by, I agree. by Friday, yeah. right? We touched down 3,800, 3,700 late Thursday night. By Friday, we were back at 5K. Liquidity was coming back in. Um so, so these things take time. And, uh, you know, the reality is that people don't operate on 
the same 24-7 schedule that Bitcoin does. Exactly. Uh, so people have to wake up. They have to, you know, give themselves time to see what happened and decide what moves they're going to make. Um, and everything just happened really, really fast. So that's how we got in the position that the market was in late Thursday evening. It's interesting. I mean, I can speak personally. I, you know, I stopped out on a large portion of my holdings on the big drop. So, I mean, I bled, but luckily not too terribly. But during that first leg that you spoke of, that's when I, you know, I had some standing orders already, but I added to those low ball orders, totally thinking they would never fill like 4,000, you know, that area. And I woke up Friday morning, I believe it was Friday morning and the price was 5,700. And I was like, wow, it bounced nicely, but I didn't even know that it had dropped further because I was sleeping and I hadn't checked the market. And I realized I had filled at 4,000 and immediately sold it you know, between 58 and 5,900 for nearly a 50% gain on one 12 hour candle while I was sleeping. (laughs) It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, Which is certainly, I mean, I've had similar experiences with altcoins, you know, where you buy, but I, I, I I saw the price because I I checked the Bitcoin price and I realized where the price was long before I even realized that I had actually filled my orders and was up. Um, uh, so, I mean, it, it worked out to my benefit, but like you said, I think most people would have probably pulled those orders in fear or they didn't react. And I just kind of got lucky that I, you know, made a decision to just in case throw those in there. Um, so uh, what a crazy day. I, I'd like to ask you then, I mean, it seems that the existence of high leverage trading is what really caused this crash? Do you believe that that would have happened if there was only a spot market and if sellers had had to sell directly into that spot market? Um, I, I don't think you would have seen the severity of, of uh, moves that you saw. You know, like if all that existed in terms of uh, liquidity venues was, uh, you know, Coinbase, um, the CME, and Binance, which you know offers leverage trading, but I don't think they do it at nearly as high of a ratio. Not hundred x. Yeah. yeah. Um, then, then I, I don't. I personally don't think it would have been uh, uh, as severe. Um, so, you know, the the question is, do those you know do those venues where you have so much leverage existing, do they start to you know? Um, lose a little bit of uh, their hold on the market over time as other venues become uh, more adopted. But based on what we're seeing right now, I mean, it, it seems like BitMEX is kind of, you know, back up and, and humming perfectly well again. So uh, it is, but I've, I've heard, at least I haven't checked myself that they are definitely suffering uh, a bit of a drop in liquidity. Yeah, but well, I guess when your entire book is cleared, <laughs> that's inevitable. Yeah, and and the other thing I would mention is that um, you know the, the Thursday, Thursday might have been like like in New York on Thursday, um, that was the time where it was really starting to set in. You know, the gravity of uh, the COVID uh, situation was really starting to set in for folks. Um, you know, I was in the city until Thursday and my wife then pulled the ripcord Thursday evening. She said, we're going upstate. Um, so I think you had both of these things acting in conjunction, right? You know, uh, potentially peak panic or close to peak panic in traditional markets and how that flowed through into the crypto market and, uh, the liquidity profile of the crypto market and the high leverage also uh, offered on certain venues in the crypto market kind of worked in tandem uh, to create an event that, you know, um, is a bigger single day, 
down move than I think anything that we've ever seen before on Bitcoin. I mean, that was definitely the maximum pain scenario, whether inflicted purposely or not. Um, so we've touched obviously on the global markets and what's happening, and it's only gone further downhill uh, since that time. What do you? I mean, what are your general thoughts on where we're headed with the global economy, the U.S. stock market? Printing more money, as you said. Yeah, I mean, uh, we're, we're going to print a ton. Um, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how that how that printing is allocated, and uh, you know whether uh, it gets effectively directed into the pockets of uh, consumers that are going to be the heaviest hit from this scenario. Which uh, you know is folks that work in industries that um, are struggling a lot right now, you know, travel, tourism, food, uh, and how effective, uh, we are at kind of directing that stimulus will be an indicator of how quickly the traditional markets, uh, will recover. Um, and I think you'll see a big separation, uh, starting very soon in terms of performance from, you know, equities like, uh, like technology companies, um, that don't really have a in-person component to uh, their revenue generation uh, versus uh, more legacy uh, traditional businesses or just in general businesses that do have a physical uh, component to uh, their revenue generation. Um, and I think it's uh, crypto's time to shine. And I think it's the dollar. I think it's the dollar's time to shine. Absolutely. Um, and, We've seen some, you know, really interesting uh, data at BlockFi in terms of like inflows and trading activities from folks that are on our platform. And I think there's a scenario where, uh, you know, for us, we, we kind of see like a counter cyclical theme play out because, you know, we have this interest account where people can earn a high yield on cash and they can earn a high yield on Bitcoin. And if those two assets are... Uh, assets that are well positioned to perform incredibly well um, over the you know foreseeable future, uh, then we should be in a good position to uh, benefit from that. Um, but it's going to suck, man. I mean, look, it's re- recessions aren't aren't good for people, and uh, being right in terms of what you do with your investments uh, is great. Um, but we have to remember to be uh, you know compassionate and thoughtful for for others as well who, you know, won't have as easy as of a time. What are the implications of COVID uh, for your business specifically? So we, um, you know, we already, we've got about 85 people at BlockFi, uh, about half our team um, and, and most of the folks that, uh, a lot of our developers um, already work remotely or at least not in our in our uh, Manhattan headquarters. Um, so we have, a, you know, we have folks in Poland, we have folks in Argentina, we have a few folks uh, rem- that work remotely across the U.S. So our day-to-day operations include, uh, you know, interacting um, remotely with with certain parts of the team. Uh, two weeks ago today, we tested like mandatory work from home uh, for everyone, and uh, that worked fine. You know, a few people like didn't have a laptop charger at home, that kind of thing. So we got that all sorted out, and. Uh, now we've been operating completely remotely since uh, since uh, last Friday, so no one's been in our office uh, for a week now, um, and it's been you know uh, business as usual. 
but the longer this drags on, you know, we're, we're very fortunate to have just an incredible uh, team of people at BlockFi. Um, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, friendships and um, a lot of camaraderie that like goes on every day in person at our office. Um, and so if this goes on for, you know, a really long time, we're, we're definitely going to lose a little bit of that. And that, uh, you know, that sucks. So we're, we're definitely hoping for uh, as quick as possible of a, of a resolution so that we can get back in the office and um, be hanging out with each other in person. But uh, we don't expect any, you know, disruption whatsoever to our uh, day-to-day operations. And it, do, you, do you think that it won't affect your growth and product pi- pipeline moving forward? Yeah, so we don't expect any, uh, you know, material disruptions to our near-term product pipeline. Um, we're going to be launching a mobile app uh, very soon. We're launching uh, ACH payment functionality. We're going to be adding a few additional assets to the platform. And all of that is going to continue as normal. Um, the one thing that is a little bit of a question mark right now is uh, the timeline for delivery of uh, the Bitcoin rewards credit card, um, which we're still hoping to uh, get in market in Q3. But for that product, we have a couple of uh, partners that um, you know we need to uh, bring uh, to bring it to market with. And depending on you know uh, whether their businesses are able to keep operating at the same pace they were prior to this, uh, that will determine how quickly that comes out, but we're definitely still going to launch it. Um, and all of the stuff that's completely within our control in terms of, uh, improvements and new products and features will, will still be coming out on the same schedule that we always planned for. Very cool. So, um, curious just for anyone like you who is, you know, effectively holding a large amount of assets for other people, how difficult is security for you guys and making sure that you, you know, are immune to hacks and that, people's money is protected. Yeah. So it's, um, it's critically important, uh, in in everything that we do. Um, and we, you know, have countless, uh, documents and processes and, and procedures, um, and, uh, operational safeguards in place to make sure that, you know, we never lose anyone's money, whether that's from a custody and secure storage perspective or from a uh, risk management perspective. Um, We have some really great partners on that front. So one of the biggest and most important ones is uh, uh, Gemini, who's our primary custodian for uh, crypto assets. Gemini has been a leader in terms of securing insurance for the assets uh, that they have under custody in terms of getting uh, SOC 2 type 1 audits completed. Um, and in terms of just having a you know perfect track record of operating their cold storage with uh, zero losses of customer funds ever, um, and we're always thinking of you know uh, additional things that that we can do there. So uh, nothing that is going to be launching imminently, but uh, we're in the market evaluating you know additional insurance solutions. Uh, we're in the market evaluating different ways that we could. Um, structure parts of the interest that we're earning to create kind of guarantees around it. Um, and so we expect to, uh, you know, always be improving there. Uh, but we're happy to say that, you know, as we've grown from $0 on our platform to uh, just over a billion dollars on our platform across crypto and, and cash, uh, we've never lost a penny of customer funds um, for, you know, either secure storage or, or lending purposes, uh, despite, uh, you know, the volatility of the asset class that we're operating in. 
Yeah, I was the uh, victim of a SIM swap not so long ago, and obviously I'm <laughs> a proud customer of yours, and I can definitely say to go ahead and blow some smoke um, <laughs> that you guys, at least from my angle, were absolute rock star superheroes in protecting me. I mean, I was locked out of my account for over a week. There was uh, no ability for anyone to send anything to any address, you know, because we had cleared the whitelist, and I had to literally go through a, you know, physical interview process on a Zoom call to uh, prove my identity, even though you guys all know who I am. Um, and so I can say that, like, you know, from from this perspective, at least, that it, it was very impressive and that, you know, I feel extremely secure, you know, because there's in this in this world, people say, you know, and, and if you don't have the private keys, it's not your Bitcoin. But I think, you know, you, you guys somewhat proved me wrong on that to some degree. Yeah, I mean, I think um, it. We've we've taken a, a very conservative approach as it relates to security. Um, there have been countless uh, SIM swap or you know other uh, hacks that could have gotten access to our customers' funds that we've avoided uh, from some very like basic stuff. You know, one thing one thing is that we process we process withdrawals the next business day, um, and that's as much a uh, security design mechanism as it is. Uh, a just general processing and, and um, you know, operational timeliness design mechanism. Uh, but we also have whitelist of withdrawal addresses. Of course, we have 2FA um, as, as an option uh, when you're creating your account. And we'll be looking to uh, build more stuff uh, into that over time as well. So we'll be looking to add things like uh, beneficiaries um, as an option on your account. You know, oh, that's uh, interesting. If, you know, God forbid something happens to you, uh, giving folks the option to, you know, list uh, who BlockFi should contact or who BlockFi should give access to, uh, you know, the funds in that account uh, in that kind of a scenario. Um, and, you know, the reality for me, like I personally uh, bought a Trezor or a Ledger, I can't remember which one, and I was custodying, you know, large amount of Bitcoin on it for a while and um, I didn't sleep that well at night. Uh because I'm the type of person that you know I might lose the key the keys to my apartment on any given month. Um, Everyone's that type of person. That's the thing. <laughs> and so uh, I think it's I think it's a beautiful feature that crypto has that you have the option to self custody. Um, I just think that uh, that option isn't necessarily for everyone, um, and we try to be uh, you know as secure as we possibly. Uh, can be as a platform providing a service to folks um, instead of uh, as a self-custody option. I'm not sure if you can hear my daughter uh, belting out the words of Frozen 2 in the background, but um, I'm obviously at home in self-isolation with my kids. Um, lost in the like woods? Yeah. Do you get into, do you jam Listen, to Lost, lost in the lost, Woods? Lost in the Woods is the hit for us because <laughs> it's like a Peter Cetera song and the video and in the movie, it's kind of like you're watching Bohemian Rhapsody when they start singing behind oh, him. It's right so here. good. It's, brilliant. it's so, so good. good. So good. So yes, like I'm a child of the eighties. So I immediately, uh, you know, latched on to that one, but no, I think she's into the unknown right now off key. Um, (laughs) but so, I mean, you're the CEO of a company, you're running a company and now it's more difficult because obviously it's remote and you're not in person and you have the added responsibility of effectively becoming, you know, a homeschool teacher, or at least I do. Uh, what's it like having your kids at home and, you know, having to work in this environment? You know, frankly, I've, uh, I've toggled back and forth a little bit from thinking that, you know, this is a, 
just an awesome opportunity to like spend time together as a family and, you know, move a little bit slower in life, uh, and, and trying to really enjoy those moments. Um, I've alternated between that and being like, holy shit, I can't do this. I just want to go into my office and like be a normal working person again. Uh, and we're one week into what might be, you know, uh, a one, two, three month, uh, scenario here. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, but you know, we're, we're very, we're very fortunate. And, uh, at the end of the day, I have no complaints whatsoever. Everybody's happy and healthy and, uh, we're having as much fun with it as we can. I'm teaching Spanish, uh, to the kids, uh, pretty pathetically. Like I posted a picture in our block five slack of me, uh, teaching Spanish. And, uh, a few folks were very quickly correcting my, um, my grammar on the Spanish words that I had written on the chalkboard. So, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it, how it plays out, but everybody's happy so far. Yeah. I mean, I, I've definitely found it challenging, but like you said, uh, it's amazing. You, you find the hours in the day when I think you're not distracted by everything else and you can actually, uh, do your work and, uh, you know, take care of your kids, but it's going to be interesting to see if this, you know, this, this week turns into weeks and then months, what that, uh, what that's going to look like for us. I think people are going to be a lot quicker. Well, hopefully people will be a lot quicker to, uh, uh, pay teachers higher salaries after, uh, they go through the process of, uh, you know, basically homeschooling when they never planned on having to do that. Um, my mom was a teacher, so I've always been a big advocate that, uh, teachers should be better compensated. So maybe that's a silver lining that comes out of this at some point. Do you think that uh, people will sort of adjust their mentality about life moving forward, appreciate the small things, dinner with friends, things like that, and will actually slow down and disconnect more? Or do you think that people will rush right back to their old habits when this is all said and done? I think that the majority of people will rush right back to their old habits, but I do think that um, there will be a a decent amount of folks uh, as well who, you know, learn from this experience. Um, I also personally have, uh, you know, seen and read a few things about, uh, like, you know, the water in the Venice canals being like blue and having fish in it again. Um, so I do think there could be a, uh, you know, environmentally conscious, uh, kind of storyline, uh, that comes out of this. Um, you know, look how much, uh, good stuff can happen in a short period of time. If we, uh, just slow down the, the, you know, gas guzzling, uh, plane flying engine that, uh, we have going. Um, but, uh, we'll see. I, am not, uh, I'm not overly optimistic that we're going to see a ton of change, but, um, hopefully we get some stuff on the, we get some wins on the margin. It's somewhat incredible to see the same behavior in the financial markets, you know, 12 years later after 2008, the bailouts, uh, I mean, obviously it's, different. It's not the banks being bailed out this time, but it's almost like people don't learn any lessons, certainly governments. Yeah. I mean, you kind of get, you kind of get, uh, you, you create this game of capitalism and there's, you know, kind of an, an optimal way to play it. And, uh, until the game changes, I don't, I don't think there's necessarily a different, uh, cycle that you're going to see. Um, and I also don't know that we necessarily want the game to change because I don't know that there's necessarily a better option than capitalism. Um, like, and the same thing can be said for the dollar, right? Like, sure. Uh, you can, you know, look at how many, how many dollars get printed all the time. And you can talk about the levels of, uh, debt to GDP that the U S government has and, um, all of these things. But the reality in my view is that, uh, there's not really a better option, right? (laughs) We're not going to switch to the Euro or the, or the, uh, you know, uh, RMB 
or the or the you know Japanese yen. So we'll see what happens. But um, I, I'm not particularly bullish on uh, you know systemic change. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean. One of the biggest narratives in crypto, obviously, is print, print, print. The dollar is going to die. Bitcoin is going to be the future. I, I mean, I, maybe you could speak to that, but I, I don't see that happening. And I don't really want to live in a world where that happens, to be quite honest. But Well, your you know, grandma loses her house and uh, your family loses their car. And anybody who wasn't in uh, to Bitcoin early enough doesn't really have any money. I mean, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but I do think that... Uh, I do think that even staying in the current system, it's still very bullish for Bitcoin. And I think that um, we could see a world uh, 5, 10, 20 years from now where some combination of uh, the acceleration of dollarization of other economies um, uh, starts to happen. And also uh, the adoption of, of Bitcoin as a little bit of a reserve uh, in, in different scenarios starts to happen as well. Um, so I think it's completely, uh, I think it's completely logical, logical to be both bullish that the dollar stays the reserve currency for the foreseeable future and that, you know, Bitcoin reaches, uh, new all time highs, uh, again soon as well. I mean, it seems to me that, yeah, we see that the dollar is absolutely pumping at the moment, uh, through this economic crash that the dollar at the moment is the real store of value, even though Bitcoin maximalists like to sort of play that narrative. Um, yeah, for sure. Is, <laughs> I mean, just, just, you, can't, just, you can't debate it. You know, the dollar's up, uh, what, 10, 15% or something in the last couple of weeks and um, Bitcoin's down 40. So, yeah, well, maybe that will be a, a good narrative for the future once it's fixed again. So um, where can everybody find you after this? Where they, can they follow up? Yeah. So, uh, you know, check us out. I, I, I would imagine a lot of folks listening are already familiar with us, but, um, you know, if you're not, uh, we're the leading provider of, uh, interest on, on Bitcoin and ether and, uh, stable coins in the crypto ecosystem. Um, we also have trading and, and loan products. Uh, our website is blockfi.com, B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm uh, blockfi Zach, uh, blockfi and then Zach is Z-A-C. Um, and we're big fans of uh, all the work that you're doing uh, currently and that you've done in the past, Scott. So keep it up, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. And we're all uh, looking forward to see what comes from BlockFi next, especially uh, when we're all out of our houses. <laughs> Absolutely. That's dope. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. New episodes go live every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Links to our Apple and Spotify channels are in the show notes. You can also follow me on Twitter at Scott Melker to continue the conversation. See you next week.